I just turned on the recording to welcome everybody. Okay, so maybe we'll begin. Uh, welcome everyone. Just uh, so happy and uh, I, I feel a little energized as well, excited uh, to be here with you again. I was sorting out uh, uh, the classes we've done together. I just recognize that the four of us have co-taught this Sati Center practice and study series. This is the, our 14th time eating together. And so, um, yeah, it really kind of energized my heart and my mind and my body. Um, you can see that uh, all of us have a love of uh, studying suttas and uh, practicing, incorporating it into our practice. And uh, we probably spent more time <laughs> preparing all these classes than the classes themselves uh, that we're offering. <laughs> Just, but we love it. Um, so I uh, welcome and enjoying uh, this love uh, of ours. And uh, hopefully this will be nourishing and beneficial. And so welcome. I'm going to pass it uh, to um, our co-teachers uh, to say a few words uh, as well. So, Diana. Thank you, Yang. Thank you. I consider it a great good fortune to be offering this class with these co-teachers and to be sharing it with others. Of course, the four of us, we have a lot of fun. But uh, there's something really special to share with others, to hear the comments and the questions that you guys have, like bringing some things that we haven't thought about. And like, it's just great. It really makes these things come alive and are kind of like nourishing. And, and I, maybe it says something about me, but it feels a little bit exciting too. So I'm just so happy to be here with all of you and I'll pass it on to Kim. Great. Thank you. It's joy to be here. Uh, this is, of course, our first class for this new year, and I feel especially inspired by the topic of finding true wealth and security, uh, which is offered through our practice, um, because often people have had a reflective time at the end of the year and kind of thought about as they're going, you know, it's a construct in a sense, but as we go into the new year, we sometimes think about what will serve my well-being, what will be of benefit to cultivate or do this year. And um, this, these suttas that we're looking at may give some insight into that, or at least into the way that we would go about whatever uh, we have aimed ourselves toward. So I hope that will be as inspiring to you as it is to me. I'll pass it on to David. Thanks, Kim. Yeah, I just, I'll add my welcome to those of, of my colleagues. It's just a, it's a joy to be here, brew a cup of fresh, um, stimulating drink and uh, settle in for some practice in community. I, I just, uh, you know, we say study and practice. And um, I just I kind of want to make sure that our study is sort of an exploration, exploration of these early teachings in these early texts in ways that really can um, um, support our practice. So I'm just echoing what, what Ying started with. I can tell you a little bit about who's here, who we are today, uh, and uh, but all all we have this time around is some geographic information. But I want to note that a little more than half of us are uh, logging in from California, 
And that makes the theme for today, Let It Rain, our first sort of take on these on these suttas, uh, particularly appropriate. And we'll be leaning into the rain metaphor, and uh, it'll have particular resonance for those of you from, from California. But there are people from 12 other uh, states, I won't read them all, but from all over the United States, including uh, far-flung Hawaii, and also participants from five uh, countries outside the United States, um, Canada, India, <clears throat> Singapore, the UK, and Chad. So welcome everybody from all these places. And uh, I'll turn it back over to you, Diana. Thank you, David. So those of you know here, the rain in California is wrecking havoc in some places and other places. It's such a welcome respite from this drought we've been having, kind of a, a mixture of responses. But can you imagine what it's like if there were a lot of rain and absolutely zero, doesn't even exist yet, something like asphalt or pavement or concrete or something like that, right? Your experience or your relationship to rain would be really different. If the monsoons come and there's absolutely nothing to prevent it from just completely flooding and landslides or whatever might happen. So, of course, thousands of years ago, they were concerned about the weather they, because they didn't have the construction materials that we have now. So for these two classes today, uh, we're going to be studying some verses from the Sutta Napata. This is a collection that's inside the fifth book, the Kudaka Nikaya. You don't need to know these uh, words, these Pali words. I'll say that sutta, we might recognize this word, right? It's a word that we use for discourses. And nipata, nipata means um, like a compilation. So even way back in ancient times, they appreciated that what's being collected in the sutta nipata is something that was from over here and a little bit from over there. So these were some verses that were, we might say, floating around loosely in the oral culture and then kind of got collected and put into, when it came time to write them down and to um, canonize them, they got collected into this one collection. Something that's unique about the Sutta Napata is that it's only in the Theravada tradition. That is, that the if some of you are familiar with Analio's work, that sometimes he will look at parallels and says, oh, you know, uh, preserved in this tradition and what it looks like and preserved in this other tradition. So the Theravada is the only one that has the Sutta Napata, but that doesn't mean that these verses don't have parallels in other traditions. They're just in other books. Some of them are in the Dhammapada. Some of them are in the Samyutta Nikaya. Some of them are in the Angudra Nikaya. So it's a um, just an uh, indication of like how these collections came to be that we study. And so one thing that's interesting about the Sutta is that it's primarily verse, just like the Dhammapada is, which for some people are uh, familiar with. And I would say the Dhammapada is the most familiar Buddhist text. Again, it's okay if you don't know all these words that I'm saying. It's not uh, relevant to the teaching that we do today. I just kind of want to put it in a, a bigger context of uh, what we'll be doing. So the sutta that we'll be exploring today is a dialogue conducted entirely in verse. 
So one person says one thing in verse, another person says responds in verse. And there's a few of these. This kind of format is not unique to the sutta, but it's a it's a different way of maybe uh, preserving and sharing um, a discourse that happened with the Buddha and somebody else. And something that's interesting about this is that it's a dialogue between a householder and the Buddha. And so the householder, of course, is concerned with householder concerns, family, wealth, how to live a good life without being a monastic. So, so many discourses we hear are about monasticism. And maybe the last thing I'll say here is that um, Pali verse is, has a particular meter. That is, you know, it's, I, I don't know, there's different ones, but um, we'll say that it's like short syllable, long, long, short, short, long, long, emphasis, long. You know, it has a very distinct way. And so in order to meet the meter, the authors have to use like unusual words or the different grammatical form of words or omit words in order, uh, thinking that they'll just be uh, implied. So as translators, this is either fantastic or it's terrible. Because if it's fantastic, you can kind of just feel your way in and kind of like make up, not make up, but you have to like uh, try to understand what was being inferred. Or if you want to be really literal, it's very hard to get it into English. So just this recognition that different translators will, their voice we can feel a little bit more when we're looking at verse than when we're looking at prose. So as I said, that this is a sutta that's entirely in verse and it's a dialogue. And what better way to start than with a little bit dialogue happening. And so in this dialogue, Ying will be the Buddha and David will be Daniab, the householder. So here we go. I've boiled my rice and drawn my milk. I stay with my family here along the bank of the Mahi. My hut is roofed and my fire kindled. So go ahead, rain sky, if you wish. I boil not with anger and have drawn out hard heartedness. I stay for one night along the bank of the Mahi. My hut is wide open. My fire is quenched. So rain sky if you wish. Here no gadflies or mosquitoes are found. Cows graze on the lush meadow grass. They get by even when the rain comes. So rain sky if you wish. I bound a raft and made it well. And with it, I crossed over well beyond and dispelled the flood. Now I have no need for a raft. So rain, sky, if you wish. My spouse is obedient and not wanton. Long we have lived happily together. I hear nothing bad about my partner. So rain, sky, if you wish. My mind is obedient and freed, long nurtured and well tamed. Nothing bad is found in me. So rain, sky, if you wish. I am self-employed and my healthy children likewise. I hear nothing bad about them. 
So rain sky, if you wish. I am no one's lucky. With what I have earned, I wander the world. I have no need for wages. So rain sky, if you wish. Among my cows, I have many heifers and sucklings, cows and calf and breeding cows. I've also got a bull, leader of the herd. So rain sky, if you wish. I have no heifers or sucklings, no cows in calf or breeding cows. I haven't got a bull, leader of the herd here. So rain sky, if you wish. The stakes are driven and unshakable. The grass halters are new and well woven. Not even the sucklings can break through them. So go ahead and rain sky if you wish. Like a bull, I broke the bounce. Like an elephant, I snapped the vine. I will never lie in a room again. So rain sky if you wish. Thank you for that wonderful reading. I apologize if there's a little noise outside, it will end in just a moment. So I wanted to um, talk through a little bit this sutta that David and Ying just read the first part of. Um, so we have Dania, the cowherd, and he's a successful cowherd. He lives in a warm, well-thatched house on the bank of a river. He owns a healthy herd with bulls, cows, and calves, plenty of land for them to graze, sound fences to keep them safe. His wife and children are supportive and have a good reputation in the community. So naturally, he thinks that he possesses the height of wealth and security, and he confidently declares, rain sky, if you wish. So we can imagine maybe a modern parallel in a person who has a stable job with benefits, a harmonious family and a house in a good neighborhood with excellent schools. Now we, such a person also might have similar feelings as Dania. So the sutta doesn't seem to indicate that Dania was greedy or competitive, merely that he was satisfied with the protection and pleasures that had come to him through his material success. And so we have this dialogue where Dania ticks off each item on his list of living the good life. And the Buddha offers a counterpart in the spiritual realm by replacing external physical conditions with internal qualities. And so there's some subtlety in this, you know, in using an analogy like that. So I would say that that suggests that the Buddha regards Dania as both intelligent and spiritually mature. So, um, you know, maybe just looking at a few of the lines to, to flesh this out. And Yang is going to do this more uh, in just a few minutes. But just for an example, um, Dania starts out saying, I've boiled my rice and drawn my milk. And so he's meaning the term boil literally. He's cooked rice. He has food. Um, but the, the Buddha says, I boil not with anger and have drawn out hard heartedness. So we have this image that comes from the suttas of the hindrance of ill will is sometimes said to be like water that's boiling so that you can't see clearly into it. 
So he's using this more metaphorical use of the term boil. Um, and then also um, sort of the external warmth of a congenial family is replaced maybe with the internal warmth of having no hard-heartedness. It's kind of a different concept. And then there are various physical conditions for Donia's hurt, and those are analogized to favor favorable internal conditions like having no defilements. And the fruit of that is to live openly. Um, the Buddha has quenched the fires of greed, hatred, and delusion. Instead of kindle a literal fire to be warm, he's quenched these fires of greed, hatred, and delusion. Those are named in, for example, the fire sermon as being the fires that we live with. And he's crossed over the floods. And that's also a technical term, the flood of sensual lust, of becoming, of views, and of ignorance. So he's gotten through all of these things. So the Buddha's assessment of Dhanya as spiritually ready to comprehend this teaching uh, does prove accurate because Dhanya responds um, by taking refuge in the Buddha and declaring that he and also his wife will live the spiritual life with the Buddha as their teacher. We'll get to that in a moment. Um, that's a, you know, a little bit later in the sutta. Uh, and so, you know, Dania shifts internally from seeking refuge in his material assets, including his relationships, to aligning with a, a superior refuge of the spiritual life. And then maybe as a sort of a dramatic flourish, or we'll talk more about that image, uh, it begins to rain as he does that. <laughs> um, so we see that there's this you know, shift in Dania's understanding. Okay, so... Um, let me say also a little bit about the structure of this sutta, uh, sort of now that we understand maybe the main theme, um, the structure, um, and I'm now borrowing off of an analysis that Bhikkhu Bodhi did, is that we have these initial verses, which are the ones that David and Ying just read. There's this exchange, kind of a, um, a statement and response about what is considered protection, comfort, and security. And then there's a transitional verse about um, the downpour of rain, um, you know, sort of changing the scene. And then we have the taking of refuge in the next two stanzas of uh, Dania and his wife. And we're going to have those read later so that we could hear it. Um, in a sense, though, the sutta could end there. You know, there's this change and then there's a new declaration of a different way of seeing things. And... Really, the sutta could end there on that positive note. But then we have two more verses with Mara <laughs> coming in and putting up kind of one more challenge um, about, you know, but isn't the sensual world really worth it? And then the Buddha uh, responding to Mara. So there's a, some speculation that maybe these last two verses were added later. They're very similar to some verses in the sutta, in the uh, Samyutta Nikaya. Uh, 4.8, for those of you who want to look it up, those same verses appear there. It's possible in a recitation tradition for places where the verses are similar but slightly different for things to get transposed from one onto the other because the person remembering it just remembers the other version, for example. And then I'll just finish with a, a reading um, from the Dhammapada that expresses the same idea. Um, Diana mentioned the Dhammapada earlier. So these are verses 188 to 192. See if you can hear the same shift in refuge. 
People threatened by fear go to many refuges, to mountains, forests, parks, trees, and shrines. None of these is a secure refuge. None is a supreme refuge. Not by going to such a refuge is one released from all suffering. But when someone going for refuge to the Buddha, Dharma, and Sangha sees with right insight the Four Noble Truths, suffering, the arising of suffering, the overcoming of suffering, and the Eightfold Path leading to the ending of suffering, then this is a secure refuge. This is the supreme refuge. By going to such a refuge, one is released from all suffering. So in a sense, this sutta in the Sutta Nipata here invites us to reflect on what is reliable wealth and security and to what degree those might be present for us in our life. So let's finish with this reading of the refuge verses. Actually, I was wrong. It's Diana and David that will read those. I think, David, you have, right? Right. The context is that right then a reindeer, a thundercloud rained down, soaking the uplands and the valleys. And hearing the sky rain down, Dania says this, it is no small gain for us that we have seen the Buddha. We come to you for, red, for refuge, great seer. O sage, please be our teacher. My partner and I, obedient, will live the spiritual life under the Buddha, gone beyond birth and death. We shall make an, an end of suffering. Thank you. Thank you. David, sorry, I, I was supposed to read part of that, but uh, I got a little confused. <laughs> so now I'd like to provide an opportunity for you guys to talk about this amongst yourselves. This idea that uh, here's somebody who's saying, look, you know, I'm set. I have what I need. And then the Buddha is coming in kind of maybe with an Aikido move and redefining so much of what uh, Donia is saying that he has that he thinks is so valuable that Buddha is pointing to, well, actually, I have something that's a little bit more valuable. So what, what, what are some parallels do we have today to this sutta? Here's Donia who's concerned about his relationship. I mean, all these things are valuable. The Buddha is not saying that they are not valuable. He's just saying that there's, in addition, there's something more valuable. Things about relationship or household or, in this case, is livestock. For us, how might we understand that in modern language? Maybe relationship and home, maybe we could relate to that. But, of course, we don't have uh, livestock. So, or we, well, maybe some of us do, but most of us probably don't. So, how... How might we reinterpret the sutta in modern language? And not only that, how might this reinterpretation or these more reliable forms of wealth and security, how might they be inspiring for you? And the things that the, the Buddha was talking about, not being with anger or not being tied up or you know, bound to things. So you'll be in groups of four, 
three or four, and you'll have 17 minutes. And it's a great way to do this, to start by doing this, is what I'm going to call the soup making method. And that is one person puts in uh, one ingredient, which is just a single point. It could be more than one word, but just a point. Might be lots of ideas that you have, but just a single point. And then it goes to the next person and they add a point, an ingredient, and it goes to the third and the fourth. And then it comes back around to the first person. And now they have heard some other ideas and they might have something new to think that they hadn't have thought of from the very beginning. So this is a way that kind of levels the playing field between the introverts and the extroverts and also allows everybody to have not only an opportunity to say something, but an opportunity to say something a second time that maybe they wouldn't have thought of at the very beginning. So a way for us to kind of like together create a, a new understanding. So my colleagues put the questions in the chat box. Thank you for that. And here we go. Okay, welcome, welcome back. So now we'd like to hear from some of you. How was that to explore some of this um, idea of what is uh, true wealth and security and how Dania is saying one thing and the Buddha is saying something else, but uh, can, and how might we interpret this in modern times? Does anybody have a, a question? Thank you, Charles Lee, for putting that in the chat. I'd love to hear, how was that? Uh, do you have some new ideas? Were you feeling like, I don't know, these people back in ancient India, I feel so removed from them, it doesn't feel relevant to me, or you felt like, oh, this is actually very interesting, this idea that you can have wealth and security, not only in the traditional ways, but to maybe even greater wealth and security. Charles Lee. Uh, yeah, thank you. Um, yeah, the, the, the last sentence you said, uh, that's that's kind of what I got out of this. I think I had first read it thinking, uh, you know, the Buddha was telling Dania, no, 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 don't, you know, that's not the way, you know, this is the way. But, I, you know, I think like you, like you alluded to, it's, it's kind of a both and situation. It's like, yes, these worldly, um, I guess acquisitions or, or external circumstances do, you know, bring some measure of security. Um, and even, and I can also show you that without these acquisitions or external circumstances, you can have a sense of security. Mm. Beautiful. Thank you. Thank you. Do any of my co-teachers have something they'd like to say? No, no. Anybody else have a comment or a question or something you'd like to add? This is Robert. In our group, um, we talked about how we in the West generally are well taken care of. We have varying degrees of wealth, but you know we're generally <clears throat> safe, secure. We can support ourselves. Um, a lot of us, and so. In a lot of ways, we're like <clears throat> the cow herd. And yet with that, there can be a feeling of um, dissatisfaction. Isn't there more? And so it, it was very analogous. We, we discussed that. 
And it also struck me that it was kind of like Maslow's hierarchy of needs and that you start at the lower level, taking care of your needs, you go up the pyramid and that the tip of the pyramid is, is spiritual. And it seems like Danya, he was doing well. He was a good man. He was a good guy. Um, and yet there was more. So there's, there's more to be learned there. Um, so anyway. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for tying that in with Maslow's hierarchy of needs, right? We need shelter and we need food and livelihood and things like this. Thank you. I'm looking at my coworkers, just our co-teachers, see if they have anything they'd like to say. You can, yeah, David. Yeah, I, I love that comment, um, those last comments. And, uh, you know, sometimes we see it as an either or. Uh, the, the idea, for example, even in, in sort of Kim's uh, saying, you know, the, the Buddha's pointing us in, these, in this exchange between Dania and the teacher toward that in addition, there's this. But it's also useful maybe to think that at the very same time, like we can be fully in this life of householding, most of us, and at the same time be free. There's that too in this teaching. It's not, it's not either or, it's not, um, this is just a higher aim, but it's also a higher aim we can have in this life. Taking the point that there are requisites or prerequisites to practice that have to do with physical security and well-being. And uh, that's a really useful point to have made. Thank you. Thank you, David. Maybe I'll just also add that uh, if you read uh, uh, Buddha's response, in nowhere he responded to uh, say, no, uh, Dania, don't have this. There's nowhere that he said that. Uh, he simply have a shift to bring out other aspects that the Dania may not have been open to. And so I just want to point that out. Yeah, I think we might add that um, these material acquisitions and things that are helpful for the path for the most part in the teachings, I mean, the Buddha does encourage people to have enough, have sufficient of that in order that we can practice. Um, but he also tends to acknowledge that they aren't entirely under our control, you know, whether you have a lot or don't. I mean, I think of Anatta Pindika, the Buddha's most um, wealthy supporter who created monasteries and supported the monks and for years and years. And then he had a um, kind of a bad turn and his reputation fell. This is from the commentaries and he became very poor actually uh, for a while. Um, and he continued on with his spiritual offerings, but it wasn't like his wealth was protected because he was a good person or something. It's like these things come and go. And you know what the Buddha pointed to, which Charles Lee said at the beginning is that actually there's something that's independent of this other part. If we're putting all of our energy into the material side, we're missing something important. So I think it's a little different. Um, Maslow's hierarchy does matter, but it a little bit implies that you have to have the base in order to get the pinnacle. And I'm not sure that's quite implied in the Buddhist teachings. Thank you. Thank you, Kim. That's great. And Eileen, and this will be our last one. I'm kind of struggling with this because, um, and, and I need to disagree with what Robert said, there are a lot of people in the West, even in the U.S., who are food insecure and who 
um, are going bankrupt because of medical bills. And, you know, if the landlord raises the rent, you're out of, you're out of luck. And so there are many of us, and I'm one of them, who are still struggling with this basic need stuff. So I don't really relate to Dania's situation at all. Um, and yet, um, although I know that retirement can be fulfilling spiritually, I also know that since I am working and my coworkers at times are very annoying, it gives me things to practice with. So um, I, I'm not saying that you, you have to have the base of security necessarily. Maybe you can be poor and do the spiritual work too, but it's it's very easy to be distracted by, you know, do I have enough in the bank that I can pay my bills? So I, I'm seeing uh, a lot of the food insecure people in my community, and we don't seem to have the sense of community that maybe people had back then that, you know, if you're, if you're in a rough time, you know, the community will come together and help you out. We're more like the rugged individual stuff and you're kind of on your own. So I'm, this is what's going, I don't know if you have any comment, but that's what's going on in my mind during this. Mm, thank you for saying that, Eileen. And I apologize for our just thinking like, oh, okay. So everybody here in the West is the same when we're not. We're not the same. So thank you for highlighting that, that food insecurity is a real thing is happening. And it's hard when you don't have that, it's hard to consider anything else, really. I can imagine how consuming that can be. Does any of my co-teachers have something they'd like to say? Yeah, maybe I'll say that um, it is very worthwhile to recognize this because we are different. I'm aware that um, that some may have a food um, uh, insecurity or some may have a financial insecurity. Some may have insecurity in terms of race, gender, and uh, diversity issues. And these are rubbing uh, in our hearts and mind. I, I think in this teaching, I don't think a Buddha was simply kind of just tossing it out and say, you know, forget about that. Um, but instead, um, what is offered is to look at um, a possibility of a deeper uh, security and sense of a well-being that's also possible in the midst of uh, potential struggles that we may be having. Um, and it's definitely nice, you know, you have to kind of have our basis covered. Um, but the practice itself, um, the practice itself and the uh, uh, orientation the Buddha is offering is that there is a way that our well-being is not compromised simply because of this other conditions that we're in. So maybe that's something I'll, I'll um, put in the, in the soup. Thank you, Ying. And now I think I'll turn it back to you. Okay, so... Um, this next part of the teaching uh, will be very similar, um, but I'm gonna, going to invite a different modality of 
uh, learning or receiving uh, this um, this teaching, that is uh, through imagery and uh, some visualization. And it might be nice for those, uh, I don't know how it works with a phone or uh, smaller devices, uh, if you can kind of uh, use the full screen, whatever the screen that you may have, might be supportive. What I will be doing is to offer a slideshow of uh, this dialogue between uh, Danya and the Buddha. And I'll be uh, offering this in a different way. That is, I'm going to run down a set of kind of images that points at what was filling Danya's mind. And so I'm going to not do it in a back and forth dialogue, but rather kind of run through the words that came to Dania. And then I'm going to show a set of images that somehow represent what was on the Buddha's mind at heart. And as I like to invite you maybe to receive these images um, in a visceral way, uh, maybe uh, almost as if it's almost like a, a, a meditative uh, form. Uh, for me, receiving images almost immediately have a felt sense in the body. And so in a way, I'm inviting almost as if you're feeling into, feeling into uh, the, the felt sense in uh, Dania uh, and the Buddha. What was there? What was in their being as they were speaking these words? And as Akim was pointing out, that the Dania was very literal. Uh, he's really talking about his life, his family, his food and shelter and, and uh, cows. Um, and the Buddha is metaphorical because he's pointing out something inside of him. And uh, I also wanted to invite some fun with this, and that is... Um, you know, I tried the best I can to pick some images that might uh, kind of describe, <laughs> uh, be relevant to what is being pointed out. Um, but it may not, because I don't know how Dania looks like. <laughs> you may see different people in the images. And uh, I don't know how the Buddha looks like. And so... I, uh, you know, the best I can, sometimes I use the monastic images and uh, to have a cer certain association. Other times may, um, may not kind of a match exactly. So I'd like to invite you to kind of just sit back and um, soft-eyed to receive this. Let me see if I can share my screen here. So let me know if you can see the screen. Yeah, okay, great. Now I have to learn how to play this. Um, let's see. Just one moment here. Should have a window where I can play this. Uh, play this uh, slideshow. 
One second, let me just stop sharing and then uh, see if I can get this going again. Okay, let's see. It takes a little moment to load this. Um, okay, now I think I've got it. Let's see, now I'm going to share the screen. Okay. All right, so we'll start with uh, Dania. And I'm gonna overlay the words um, as well as I read it. I've boiled my rice and drawn my milk. I stay with my family along the bank of the Mahi. My hut is roofed. My fire kindled, so rain sky if you wish. No gadflies or mosquitoes are found. Cows graze on the lush meadow grass. They get by even when the rain comes. So rain sky if you wish. My partner is obedient, not wanton. Long have we lived together happily. I have, I heard nothing bad about them. So rain sky if you wish. I'm self-employed. And, um, my healthy children, likewise. I heard nothing bad about them. So rain sky if you wish. I have heifers and sucklings. Cows in calf and feeding cows. I've got a bull, leader of the herd here. So rain sky if you wish. The stakes are driven in, unshakable. The grasshoppers are new and woven. Not even the sucklings can break them. So rain sky if you wish. Well, those are the uh, words from Dania. Let's see, what's kind of the felt sense? What was on Dania's mind? Rice, food, hut, family on the riverbank, cow herds, 
different kinds of cows. A self-employed person. Quite good, right? Quite good. Yet, what do you hear underneath of that layer? For me, when I was looking at those images, there was a sense of some sense of fear underneath of that. So even though it feels all good, but there was some sense of a fear underneath of it. So now let's look at the Buddha. I'm going to shift my screen just slightly. I bore you not with anger. And have drawn out hard-heartedness. I stay for one night along the bank of the Mahi. My hut is wide open. My fire is quenched. I bond a raft and made it well. And with it, I crossed over, went to the far shore, and dispelled the flood. Now I have no need for a raft. The mind is obedient and freed and long, long nurtured and well-tamed. Nothing bad is found in me. I have no heifers or sucklings, no cows in calf or breeding cows. I haven't got a bull leader of the herd here. So rain, sky, if you wish. I am no one's lucky. With what I have earned, I wander the world. I have no need for wages. Like a bull, I broke the bounds. Like an elephant, I snapped the vines. I will never lie in a womb again. So rain the sky if you wish. So these are what's on the Buddha's mind. Just kind of pause for a moment and see what's the felt sense for you. And the contrast. Gonna pause and just, just let the images be the teaching uh, of itself. Maybe drop into the felt sense of your being. And with that, we'll transition to a guided meditation. Such a rich practice here this morning. Um, I, I can't speak for my teaching colleagues, but I think, uh, I think 
uh, we have all just seen these images for the first time with, again, a rereading of the verses. Uh, and just a reminder that how powerful the verses in the suttas that are offered in these texts can be. And uh, at least in my case, how frequently I've sometimes passed over them in the past. But uh, they can really be quite wonderful in practice. So let's meditate a little bit with with these verses, with what we're uncovering today, this rich conversation about um, the, it, it, one aspect, this relationship between external conditions and the um, internal peace, and the, the freedom that the path of practice offers. The, um, as, as Diana pointed out at the very beginning, we have little control, maybe no control over the things that most concern us, over the conditions that in which our lives are led. But the Buddha points out that we have, if not control, a great deal of influence over our minds and how free they are, regardless of the conditions that surround us. Point um, iterated again by Kim in her response to a comment. So let's bring this into our practice, maybe find a comfortable, comfortable posture bringing the eyes down if that's comfortable and bringing into the mind this phrase, let it rain, rain sky, if you wish. I think this phrase goes to the heart of our discomfort, our, our, our um, discomfort with the lack of control. And at the same time, the opening to the uh, Buddhist path of practice in which we um, in which we prepare ourselves for whatever conditions we encounter, prepare ourselves to meet them with an open heart, with as much wisdom as we can. So bringing attention uh, first inward, as we close the eyes, if we close the eyes, bringing our attention to our inner world, the inner life, Bringing our attention maybe downward into the body. And bringing our attention to the breathing. In each breath, we can find a balance between the energy that each in-breath brings and the letting go that each out-breath offers. And as we proceed in the meditation, sitting with the breath, accompanying the breath, holding the breath, keeping the breath in mind, returning to the breath, opening back out into the breath when the mind becomes tight around thinking. Maybe today we can recognize that thinking sometimes takes us off into an engagement with external conditions or worry about the next meal or the next rainstorm. When we return attention to what's here now, the here and now, the breath brings us back to. You can see this path opening up of 
Let it rain. Doesn't have to be a brave response. Doesn't have to be a response of resignation. Let it rain can be an opening, maybe a gift or an offering with which we meet the, the world of experience. So for this sit today with our theme of let it rain as we return attention to the here and now, to the breathing, each time we come back into presence, we maybe can just drop in this phrase, let it rain in whatever way feels comfortable for us, however, however much of that challenge we can take on or that offering we can make.
Okay, so gently coming back from whether from the inner rain. So now we have a time for questions or comments. Um, how was that for you? Or how were the images for you? Are you settling into a sense of what this sutta is pointing toward or what this phrase, let it rain, how that can work in our being? I'm Peggy. Oh, okay. Go ahead, Peggy. And then I see your hand also, Adam, but I saw you first, Peggy. Okay. Sorry about that. Um, okay. I got the imagery was lovely. At one point I got a little caught up in my mind because let it rain means something, but I was also imagining that a thousand years ago or whatever, it, it could have meant catastrophe, like pure catastrophe. And, um, I definitely wasn't ready for that. I felt like there'd been too much of that these last couple of years, too much loss. And so uh, understandable. Got a little stuck there. But yeah. Well, most of it was peaceful. Yeah. I'm not sure if we're meant to invite uh, disaster, <laughs> but more a sense of a declaration of confidence or something more internal. But you're absolutely right about the rains. I think Diana alluded to that. You know, in ancient India, it was, and even today, um, you know, the idea of rain sweeping away an entire village is not an exaggeration. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you. Um, Adam. Oh, hi. Uh, thank you very much for this uh, occasion and uh, auspicious occasion in class. Um, I suppose what came to mind is, um, um, and it, as in, as, as one, one person said in our group, um, you don't want to feel too, uh, too unsettled or too much in a rush or anything like that. Um, but it's very nice, uh, in this sort of, to keep in, keep in the back of my, back of one's mind somewhere, uh, the notion of the highest. And that there is, but there is this sort of incredible quality standards, if you like, mm. being revealed in these texts. Uh, these are very, very refined, invaluable texts. Um, and so one can keep in mind the notion of the highest. Um, and also the, the sense of danger or of exposure, but not letting that, you know, not letting that overwhelm. Um, and I think in the sutta that you so nicely um, expressed, there is that reference to the raft, um, which I understand in Nick's text, the awakened one says, I have no more need um, for a raft. But um, 
for, for most or all, that raft is still there. Um, and that is, so in spite of the danger, we have the notion of the highest, and it's that raft of the teachings as a whole that's there for us, that we can give attention to amidst our floods of information uh, in our 20th century, 21st century world. And we have that raft there always to come back to. Um, so, so that's what came to mind, and thank, thank you very much for your, uh, your efforts and uh, uh, the notion of this occasion. Well, thank you, Adam. That was beautifully said, you know, of the reality of the challenge of the world. We're not physically safe ever completely, um, and we can carry in our heart this very refined, you know, wish that to be in some kind of a happiness that doesn't depend on any conditions, but the reality is, you know, we may not quite be there either. And then the middle way of, but we have a path, we have a practice, we have something right here in this moment that we can use. And of course the raft image you may have been alluding to is also found in other suttas, particularly MN22, the simile of the snake, which we did a class on, I don't know when, <laughs> a while ago. And it does include this raft image that we use the raft until we don't need it, but we don't let it go until then. So, yeah, thank you so much. Nicely said. I don't know if my co-teachers would like to add anything at this point or not. No. Yeah, DT comments that it's nice to... This teaching reminds us of getting back to practice. I think that's our hope. Study in practice is the name of our general series and the ways that interacting with these texts can inspire our practice, inform our practice, challenge our practice in appropriate ways. They're very interrelated if, if we're open to that. Yeah, Hugh. Yeah, thank you for this this practice today. Thank you so much for the the picture show. I really uh, enjoyed that. Um, looking at those pictures, I was thinking, wow, what a beautiful bowl he has, and that love his hut, and um, and but uh, then I was thinking, but. That must have been hard to build and hard to maintain, keep that heart from leaking and that, that bull and the calves and the weaving, the, the, the good grass and all. What if, uh, gee, what if I hurt my finger and I couldn't weave or I couldn't fix the huts? Um, oh, there's so many things that could go wrong here, but, uh, I, to, to maintain my, my, my sense of well-being, this happy life that I built, and the and then the Buddha says, "Well, I don't have any of that stuff, but I have a great happiness. I am overflowing uh, with uh, 
risk, risk well, a feeling of well-being. So I love, I love, I loved it. Thank you so much. Yeah, those images went right to the heart. I think Ying said at the beginning, well, I'll let you say it, Ying, that there's a sense of a little bit of undercurrent of fear uh, in what Tanya was saying. Do you want to add more? Yeah, thank you for pointing that out. Yeah, when I was doing this uh, on my own, um, contrasting the image, it was such a strong sense of you know, the stakes were driven, you know, it's a lot of work to try to keep all this holding together. Um, but um, a Buddha had no food security, had no real shelter. Yet there was a, such a strong sense of freedom and peace and well-being in there. And that was a um, powerful contrast as I kind of was going through this myself. So thank you for uh, highlighting this. Yeah, thank you, everyone. I think we'll end with the questions there. We're right on time, but let me just say a few closing words um, in preparation for our second class on Thursday, two days from now. Um, You might want to reread this sutta and consider it in light of the beautiful images that we saw and the other things we talked about, you know, what is true wealth and security and what does that mean for me in the conditions right now in my life? It's not that we're supposed to just throw everything away and try to be the Buddha. That would, that wouldn't be wise in a sense, but can we partake of that imagery somehow to inspire how we live? And then, um, you know, next session we'll do, uh, we'll, Go back one sutta and do 1.1, which we also sent a link to, which is the Uraga Sutta, the Snake Sutta. And this one um, uh, is related. It may not seem like it when you first read it, but consider, you know, we might ask, you know, how do we kind of get from being really entrenched in the worldly and protection and gathering and maintaining and, you know, what's the, what is this raft or this path toward? What does that look like? What do we have to, uh, how do we let go in a way that helps us move toward what the Buddha was pointing toward? And it is a process of shedding, of letting go of things that are occupying us in a wise way, in a helpful way. So that's what we'll talk about uh, next time. The snake shedding its skin. We could have a name, let it shed. So we'll see you on Thursday for that. Thank you. Take care, everyone. Till till Thursday. And if you'd like, you can unmute and we'll all say goodbye together in an unruly way. So <laughs> thank you. Bye, everyone. Take care, all. Bye. 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 Bye.